Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. For this morning, but because it's our VBS Bible verse, I'm going to teach you the motions. All right? It's going to be awesome. All right, so I want you guys to get ready. Put your hands like this. It's simple. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Okay, let's do that one more time. Ready? Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Now, one more time for good measure. Are you ready? Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Perfect. You guys can be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is VBS Recovery Week um, weekend. Um, it's always a joy. It's always wonderful. Um, as Charlie mentioned, it was over 100 uh, volunteers. It was actually over 150 volunteers before, during, and after that make VBS possible for us. So again, thank you to those who came out and committed their time to see uh, really the greatest evangelistic opportunity that we have as a church. We had over 130 kids participate throughout the week. And uh, just to put it in perspective, a lot of those uh, students, a lot of those kids, didn't go to Fairview Church. And so we're able to really reach out to a lot of families that are either unchurched or maybe they're kind of in and out of church. But we get to reach a lot of families that that don't regularly rub shoulders with other believers. And so this is a really great opportunity for us. Out of the 130 students that came to Twist and Turns, uh, we had 13 next steps. So that was students either gave their life to Christ or wanted to follow through in baptism. And so we can praise the Lord for that. So this morning, what we're going to be doing is we are going to be recapping the stories and the scriptures that we walk through for twists and turns. Now, I just want to admit something straight up at the very beginning of this sermon. It's this. Glenda Taylor preached this or taught this this week in our Bible study together. I am not going to be as good. Okay, I'm just letting you know right now. This is not going to be as good as what the kids got, but um, I am so grateful for her and her leading out and all the preparation that she did to teach our kids about Jesus this week. And so thank you to her. So our passage this morning, our Bible verse, Psalm 25, 4, make your ways known to me, Lord, teach me your paths. Now, in this text of scripture, there's this idea of a path, of a road, of a way that you go down. Lord, make your ways known to me, teach me your path. And instantly, we should think about one thing, and that is the two roads imagery, two road imagery. Throughout all of scripture, there describes two roads. There is one road that leads to life, and there's another road that leads to destruction. Consider later on in Psalm 25, for example, verse 10. It says this, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decree. So he is saying, for those who keep his covenant, who who keep his commandments, those things, they will have steadfast love and faithfulness. Well, what's the opposite? Those who don't 
will be without some of those things. We can think of, for example, Psalm 1 when it says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. There's two ways. Even Matthew chapter 7 Jesus describes a way that is wide, that is broad, and there's a way that is narrow, that is small, that few travel upon. One leads to life while the other leads to destruction. It's this two-road imagery. However, when you're on this road, what we often see in life is that all of us kind of travel kind of along the same road. Really, It really comes down to not the road, it really comes down to who you're actually listening to. Because when he says, make your ways known to me, he's looking for guidance and he's looking for direction. He's looking for someone to lead. I thought about this story this week as I was considering this path and this road. Uh, When Amber and I got married, we went on our honeymoon to a mountain cabin. We we rented a cabin for the week. It was beautiful. It was wonderful on on the website. And then it had just been built. It looked pristine. It looked amazing. The pictures were too good to be true. They were just beautiful. And so we rented it for the week and we put it in our GPS. And four hours later, we find ourselves on this road, this paved road that kind of then kind of started with this kind of like broken gravel. And then it kind of ended up on this like complete dirt road, dirt dirt road. And the GPS said, you have arrived at your destination. And I looked around and I said, no, I don't think we did because there is nothing here. And so instantly, I started thinking to myself, we got swindled, we got robbed, I knew it was too good to be true, you know, I was was like, okay, I think I saw like a really, really beaten down like Red Roof Inn back there, but Amber's not going to want to do that, so maybe just drive four hours back home. I mean, it was like all these things were flooding my mind about turning back, and Amber just says, let's just calm down for a second and think about this rationally, let's trust the people that we've talked to. Let's figure out what's going on. Instead of jumping to conclusions, let's trust the character of the people that we have booked this cabin with. And so she said, let's just drive just a little bit further. And sure enough, just a quarter of a mile further on this dirt road was this beautiful cabin just as they have described. Now, the reason why I tell you this story is this. When we talk about the two paths and the roads that we walk, again, it has a lot more to do with the person that we're following than the path that we're actually on. We can listen to the advice of the world, the advice that our GPS gives us. If you ever watch The Office, we know how that turns out. Remember that time when Michael drives into a lake? Um, We can trust the GPS advice, right, of this world. But guess what? That's fallible. GPSs can be wrong, but we follow the voice and the direction and the guidance of a God who is perfect, who is trustworthy. We follow the voice of a God who will never be wrong in the guidance. And so when we feel like we're at a moment in a direction that we're going and we want to turn back for whatever reason, we have the direction and the voice of a God who tells us to keep going in the path that he's given us. And so this morning, what we're going to walk through is a story of Peter. VBS week really focused on Peter's life as an expression of somebody 
albeit he gets it wrong all the time, of somebody who really wants to believe and live this life and this, this declaration from Psalm 25, make your ways known to me, Lord, teach me your path. The reason why I believe that Peter is a great example for this, I give you three here. First, we know a lot about his life. Peter is mentioned 191 times by name in the New Testament. The next closest disciples that is referenced is John with 48 times. We know a lot about Peter, and this is why it's so beautiful for us. It makes him relatable. We get to see his pitfalls. We get to see his triumphs. We get to see him in one point in Matthew where Jesus looks at him. He's like, yes, you said that perfectly. I am the son of God. And then the next minute, Peter says something stupid. And he's like, you are Satan. You know, like we get to see these like really awesome moments with Peter. But he's relatable and we know a lot about him and what he walked through in his life. And that's helpful for us this morning. The second is this. He trusts Jesus when no one else does albeit imperfectly. Isn't that the story of the Christian life? Wanting to obey Christ, wanting to trust him, but yet we always fall short of that. And we need to be reminded that we can trust in the guidance of the voice of, and the character of God. And the third is this, he's a perfect example of how God can use anybody to do great things for his kingdom. He was a fisherman. That's where we first see Peter, a fisherman. And so with that, let's jump into what we walk through this week in VBS. And the first is this, Jesus is holy. Jesus is holy. Peter followed Jesus. In Matthew 4 and Luke 5, we see the story where Jesus and Peter kind of first meet. Peter has been fishing all night. You guys remember this story? He's fishing all night. He has caught nothing. He gets back. He's tired. He smells terrible. He just wants to go home and like relax. And Jesus, a carpenter, walks up and he says, hey, did you try that place over there? And Peter's like, are you serious? You are a carpenter, you know? And he goes out anyways. So they sail out on the sea. They let down the nets. And there's all this fish. You guys remember, they get all this fish. So much fish, they have to like have other people kind of help them with the fish back. When they get to the shore, what does Peter do? Does Peter say, I'm rich. I just got the biggest load of fish I've ever gotten. I'm gonna be so wealthy. This is amazing. Thank you, Jesus. No, he doesn't do that at all. What does Jesus do in Matthew chapter five? Well, instead, he gets down and he says, I'm a sinful man. He knows that there's something different about Jesus. He knows that Jesus is more than meets the eye. He gets down and recognizes that whoever Jesus is, we know him as the son of God, but Peter, he's still formulating all that. He just met Jesus, but he knew whoever he is, I can't be with him. He is too good. His ways are too perfect. His word was right. This is where we find Peter. Recognizing from the very first day that Jesus is holy and perfect. But what I love about this scene as well is that Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, you are a sinner. Instead, Jesus actually gives him a calling. 
He says, Peter, you think this is cool? I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. Now imagine that you've been a fisher your whole entire life. You have this amazing moment, this amazing encounter with Jesus. And then he says, you're gonna fish for people. Now, I am sure he took this as a metaphor, okay? I'm sure he didn't literally think he was gonna be fishing for people. But the very fact that in the moment where Peter understood who he was before God, God also gives him a name, a purpose, a calling that Peter is going to live out in great ways in the future. The second thing we saw is that Jesus is trustworthy. In Matthew chapter 14, Peter walks on water. If you remember this scene, Jesus is walking on the water. They think it's a ghost. Peter's like, oh, that'd be so cool, right? They're kind of talking in the boat. And Jesus starts calling out to Peter. Peter responds, I'm gonna go out there. And Peter starts walking on that water. But guess what happens? Starts to sink. And Jesus says, why do you doubt, Peter? Why do you doubt? I love this because it's relatable for our family. So we get a lot of, a um, lot of, um, gosh, why I'm blinking on the name now? Splinters, splinters. We get a lot of splinters in our house. We got a wooden playground, so the boys come in with splinters all the time, and we'll have to go get tweezers, you know, to, to get them out. And so, like Mason will have a splinter, and I'll look at him. You know, he's he, he's afraid, he's scared. I'll look at him. I'll say, I say, Mason, do you trust me? And guess what he says? No, I do not trust you. And so then I have to spend 15 minutes reassuring him, telling him that even though it's gonna be painful, you need to trust me, that I know what's best, that it needs to be out of your your hand. You know, I have to tell him it's gonna be okay. I have to reassure him and get to a point where I could say, now, Mason, do you trust me? And eventually he will get around to say, yes, I trust you. But how often is that the Christian life? We're called, God calls us, we're walking on water, but then we start to see some of the things that are happening around us and we start to doubt and we start to sink. Yes, intellectually, we know that we are to trust God, but experientially, it is very difficult to do so. And there's moments in our lives where Jesus asks us, do you trust me? And the reality is many of us will do this. Yes, because we're scared, because we're nervous, because we don't know what lies ahead, because the GPS is taking us somewhere that we're not sure we're supposed to go or whatever it might be. Jesus is trustworthy. Just think about this. You have Peter walking on the water and his last declaration then out of his mouth before he's fully under is, Jesus, save me. Now, I want you to consider that even though Peter was doubting, he knew enough at that, at that moment that there was no hope for him except for Jesus. And that's how we should live our life. In the moments when we're sinking, we need to remember the truth of God's character, that he is really the only thing we can depend on. And in the same manner, we need to express, save me. He's trustworthy. It's no doubt that Peter might have reflected in his life 
in this scene on the water, later on when he's being put in jail, tortured, beaten, ultimately losing his life. And I bet you the whole entire way through, he remembered this story. Peter, do you trust me? And him yelling out, save me. This is the type of character development that only happens when you go through something like this that can sustain you for what's to come. And Jesus provides Peter with this opportunity to learn, to exactly prepare him for that, that we'll see in the future. He's trustworthy. Third, Jesus is forgiving. Peter denied Jesus and was restored. If you remember this, we've talked about this previously in our study on John, but he tells the people, Judas, you're gonna betray me, Peter's like, no, I would never do that. Like, Judas, I'm gonna be with you to the very end. I'll die for you. And then Jesus tells Peter, you are going to betray me three times before the rooster crows. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is arrested. Peter chops the ear off of Malchus. Jesus puts the ear back on. Peter follows Jesus to the court. And while they're in the court, they're just eye distance away from each other. Someone walks up to Peter and says, Hey, I know you. You were with Jesus just like a couple hours ago, you know? Like you were just with him. Peter says, no, I don't know him. Another person walks up and says, you, yes, you, I know you. You were with Jesus. He says, I absolutely do not know him. And then a third person, the, the accusation is now ramping up. And so is Peter's rejection of Jesus. And the text tells us that Peter calls down curses. Now, whether that was cursing upon himself, other people, or even on Jesus himself, the idea here is this. Hey, Peter, you were with him. Peter says, no, I don't know that accursed man. I don't know him at all. And the text tells us at that moment, Jesus and Peter locks eyes with one another. Imagine you're Peter for a moment. You're supposed to be Jesus' friend. You've said all these things in declaration and loyalty to Jesus. And now everything has happened that Jesus has said. The rooster has crowed and you have rejected Christ three times. And the text tells us, in Luke, that he walked away weeping bitterly. My guess is that's the type of thing that you think about all week long. Jesus is killed, he's put in a cross, or he's put on a cross, he's killed, he's put in a grave. My guess is from that point on, Peter did the only thing that he could do. He got back on a boat, back on the water thinking about this 24-7. How could I do that to Jesus? How could I have betrayed Jesus in such a way? I know better than that. How could I have done that? He was my friend. What's going to happen? All these things racking up in his brain. And that's the beauty of John 21, because he's fishing. When he sees Jesus just a far, not, not too far off on the shore, now imagine, maybe you're thinking about this all weekend long and you see Jesus there and it's him. You have a chance to see Jesus. And the first thing Peter do does is he jumps out of the boat, swims to Jesus, and then Jesus and him have this conversation where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? 
Peter responds, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. He says it again, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. He says it again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. And just like that, Jesus shows Peter that there is nothing that can separate him from the love of God. I imagine in a room this big, there are some of you who have this story where you've walked a life where you rejected Jesus. You've walked a life where you've been rejecting him, what what he's doing. You may hear a sermon. You say, nope, don't want to hear that. You keep on doing your own thing. You may have a parent or a friend that says, hey, really, Jesus is the answer. Nope, don't even care. Don't even want that. And you keep on rejecting what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But I bet you there's some of you in this room that you were like that, but at one moment the Holy Spirit convicted you. There was a moment where you were approached with the same question that Jesus gave to Peter, do you love me? And even with all your past and all your baggage and all the things in the past, all you could do is muster up, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. This should be encouraging to us that Jesus is forgiving. He is such a forgiving God. He is slow to anger. When we look at the psalmist in in 25, I don't have time to go through it all. But here's some of the things that the psalmist tells us. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. But according to your mercy, remember me. Don't remember the things I've done. Remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. In this text, in 25, he mentions not only God's goodness, his mercy, his loving kindness, but he mentions that he's forgiving. He keeps his his covenant and his promises. He tells us that that God has integrity and he's upright and always does what is good. You know why we can remember that God is always forgiving for us? It's because we remember who the character of God is. We remember that God's character is all of these things. And so when we go to him, we know that God is going to keep his promises. So even when we've messed up, we go to a God who's forgiving. We go to a God where we can declare, just like the psalmist, do not remember the sins of my youth, but remember me. Jesus is forgiving. The fourth thing is that Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth following. We see in Acts chapter three, well, prior to that, we have Pentecost, so the Holy Spirit comes down on his disciples. And then we have a really kind of crazy transaction that happens there, like a, a communication thing. What happens is they start going out, they're speaking in all sorts of languages, and somebody from the crowd is like, they started drinking early, and it's like, these people are crazy. They've been drinking a lot. And Peter's like, no, we have not. They say, he's, instead, he starts going into a sermon. Peter preaches this first sermon after Pentecost, and it is amazing. It talks about how the whole situation. God promised a Messiah. We killed the Messiah. This Messiah rose again. And he offers forgiveness for those who put their trust in him. And that is a promise that is for you and for your children. 
He goes on and on to talk about the beauty of who Jesus is. And then right after this moment, they're like, hey, we can't have Peter talking like this. So we need to go throw him into jail. And they tell him, don't preach. Don't share the gospel. Why? Well, because the gospel is a very dangerous thing. See, it was dangerous for, obviously, for, the, for their religious kind of system. It was dangerous for maybe the political atmosphere. All those things might be, are, are, are true. But for us, the gospel is dangerous because it requires us to give up everything that our sinful nature wants. If you have kids, you know you don't have to teach them to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to covet. You don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to hide things from their parents. You don't have to teach humans how to be selfish or self-absorbed. You don't have to teach people how to do those things. And yet, that is everything that our sinful nature wants. And yet the gospel tells us that we actually have a different voice, a different master, and a different path a different way of living. And that's dangerous to the flesh that lives inside of me. But even with all of that, no one wanting to hear it, Peter says, I'm not gonna stop. Peter was put in jail. He was tortured. Later on in his life, He's going to be crucified upside down. But he needed to learn from very, very early in his ministry and his relationship with God that Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth following even when we're faced with difficult things or challenges or even our own selfishness. He's worth following. Lastly, Jesus is for everyone. Next 10, we see this story of Cornelius and Peter. Peter receives a vision. It's got all these animals in it. It was really offensive, right? Because it was all these animals that the Jewish people deemed unclean. And then God gives a voice to Peter and it says, Peter, do not declare unclean what I have cleaned. He then goes to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. He shares this vision Cornelius and his whole family give their lives over to Jesus, signifying what we can see in the Old Testament, that the Messiah is going to be a promise and a benefit for all nations. And we see the Gentiles grafted into the family of God. Jesus is for everyone. There is no excuse for them not to preach this good news to the nations. The day of Gentile inclusion had come. And now we have this Roman officer, Cornelius and his family who are brought in. And that's not the first folks we'll see that are brought in. Now, why do I go through this summary? from VBS speak about Peter's life. Why would I take time to kind of walk through each day? Well, it's for this reason and this reason alone. 
I want to show you that when God was working in Peter's life, it always had a purpose. When Jesus calls Peter to follow him, he calls him to be a fisher of men. This would really define Peter's life. Once he's restored, and Jesus actually tells us that his temptation, for example, or his, his betrayal, his rejection of Jesus is going to serve so that he'll be strengthened in order to strengthen the brothers. We see that all this is leading him to be a pivotal part of the early church. We see churches that are planted, people that are discipled, decisions made that he was a part of. He was a fisher of men. When he's sinking in the water, Jesus is preparing him for harder moments in life where he's gonna yell out, Jesus, save me. When Jesus, when he is undergoing moments of despair and discouragement and thinking about who he is and the faults that he's committed, he's gonna remember that Jesus forgave him in his most desperate hour of need. When he's sitting in a jail cell wondering if this is worth it, he's gonna remember all that God has done and he's gonna keep the faith until the end. And even in Peter's moment where he makes some decisions at a council about Gentiles and then doesn't keep them, the Spirit's gonna remind him that the gospel is for everybody. And ultimately what we see is a person who is walking one way, had many moments where he could have just turned around. I rejected Jesus, I'm just gonna leave. But instead, no, he keeps going, listening to the voice and the character of God. Oh man, this early church has some crazy stuff that's happening. People might persecute me, put me in jail. Maybe it's time for me to turn around. Nope, he continues to listen to the voice and the character of God. Oh man, this might be my last stop in Rome. They may kill me over this. We know from church tradition that they hung Peter upside down and crucified him. And that was by his request because he didn't want to be crucified the same way the Lord was. But at every single moment he's walking this road, he had every chance to turn around. But instead, he doesn't listen to the fallible wisdom of the world. Instead, he listens to the character of God that says, keep going. And that's what this means for us. Do I really want to bring myself to a place where I trust in God completely that I have a faith like Peter? See, oftentimes I want God to make his ways known in my life like the psalmist, but it's only if it lines up with what I want it to look like. What's beautiful, a part, uh, a part of the, that verse is the second half when it says, teach me your path, because here's the difference. Making known is declaring what the path's gonna look like. Teaching is a whole different thing. See, teaching has to be taught, has to be learned experienced and lived 
It's not just intellectual acknowledgement. It is a lived reality. So when we say, make your ways known to me, Lord, we want to know what those are. But the second part is the scary part. Teach me your paths. Because that's when we give God the permission to teach, instruct, mold, prune, and shape us according to his path. But all I know is that one thing is for sure, is that we pray this, Lord, make your ways known to me, teach me your paths. This is what I know to be true. We can expect a lot of twists and turns. You see how I put that in there? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the life of Peter. But more importantly, I thank you for the life that Peter depended on, and that was your son, Jesus. He believed in the character of God and of who you are. You're merciful, kind, just, loving, slow to anger, patient. You are perfect, trustworthy. Your word is true. God, thank you that we can listen to that voice and that guidance. Thank you that when we say, make your ways known to me, Lord, that that is who you are. Teach me your path, Lord. Help us to be humble and to accept all that you bring us so that we can really walk in your path. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're about to go to a time of the Lord's Supper. As we do that, there's a couple things I want you to do. I want you to take a couple of moments. I want you to pray, ask the Lord for any type of forgiveness that you might need from the Lord. By the way, if you need the elements, just raise your hand. We'll have deacons that can come by if you don't have them. But I want you to think about any things you need to, to repent of the Lord for. But the second thing I want you to do is ask this question. What are the ways in my life that I'm not trusting God's guidance? And really consider that as your offering of worship before we take the Lord's Supper. What are those areas that I am not trusting God's guidance? Let's take a couple moments. Apostle Paul tells us this. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. We had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is Christ's body broken for us. The same way, also he took the cup. And after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Christ's blood shed for us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim.
proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's what we're going to do together with our confession. So if we'll stand together this morning and read this out loud together as one body and one voice. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.